This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. A little later on today, we're going to be chatting with Fort St. John Fire Department Deputy Chief Matt Troiano. The department was pretty busy in January thanks to the extreme cold we were suffering here. So we'll chat a bit about that. Uh, We'll also talk a bit about the stats from last year in general and then a bit about uh, the year ahead for the department. But first, the Fort Nelson Hand Game Society is hosting a tournament next weekend, which is doubling, as I understand it, as a fundraiser for a local who was injured in an ATV accident. To tell us all about hand games and this tournament coming up, and even how you can get involved in it if you'd like, we're joined now by the president of the Fort Nelson Hand Game Society, Ryan Dickey. Ryan, welcome to Moose Talks. Good morning, Dub. It's uh, great to be here today. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes uh, and uh, all that good stuff. So I thought we'd first start with hand games. I know I've heard this term. Um, you know, we, we had an article written about it recently at energeticcity.ca. But if somebody's hearing this for the first time, tell us a bit about what hand games are. Yeah, so uh, Dene traditional hand games have been played uh, across Dene territory. So essentially... Uh, the Northwest Territories, Alberta, uh, Northeast British Columbia, the Yukon. And uh, it's been, from what I understand, <clears throat> it's been played by, by our people, Dene people, for as long as we can really remember. Wow. And uh, essentially, it is a traditional uh, guessing game, a very complex guessing game, where each player, uh, for this event, I'll, I'll speak to, to how we're going to run it, but it'll be six players per side. And each player will have a token, and the object is to essentially conceal that token in one of two hands. And uh, you go under a blanket, pick which hand you're going to hide it in, bring it, bring your, your arms, present them to the opposing team, which designates a shooter. And that shooter will use a variety of different hand signals to indicate which hand he wants each opposing player to expose. And if they expose a hand that's empty, that's considered... Uh, a point that that player earns a, a point or a stick for for their team so essentially it's a complex guessing game where the object is to conceal an object to from the opposing team and when you do that successfully you earn a stick so for this tournament we're going to be playing with 15 sticks and uh, the first team to collect all 15 sticks to their side of the mats wins that match and it'll be a best of three per game so uh, any game, uh, it, it varies in terms of length. Some games I've seen end in you know 15 minutes, and I've also watched games that go the exchange goes back and forth, and uh, they can run up to you know two hours in length. So it is a uh, pretty complex game, but once you get get the gist of it, it's uh, really really uh, uh, entertaining with the drummers behind each team, and, and it really energizes the game and. You'll see a lot of taunting and a lot of different moves from different players, and it's a really exciting event to watch. Oh, it sounds fascinating. Um, so essentially, the shooter is trying to guess what hand, I guess, doesn't have, like, reveal the hand that doesn't have the token in it then, correct? Yeah, they're, they're guessing, uh, they're uh, shooting to indicate which hand they think or they want uh, 
they're hoping that the rock or the, the token might be in. So their job is to guess and, and uh, basically catch the opposing players mm-hmm. by having them expose the, the hand that has the token in it. And when they guess wrong and it's a hand that doesn't have the token in it, that player that successfully concealed that object from the shooter earns a stick. Okay. Now, if there's 15 yeah. sticks and you, you have to get to 15 first, are you kind of taking it from the other team then? Or is there kind of a pool yeah. of up to, I guess, 29 sticks and the first team that just gets to 15 wins the match? Yeah, so that's a good good point to make. Uh, the, all 15 sticks start in the middle. And essentially, the first stick is a one-on-one versus the t- again between the two captains. Mm. And then when... One of the two captains wins that first stick. All six players from that that team go down, and then that's where the exchange starts to happen. I see. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So fifteen sticks in total. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna have to uh, find a way to watch this. <laughs> it sounds Absolutely, fascinating. Yeah. I I mean, is this something you've been playing kind of your whole life? Was it something you know some of the elders in your community showed you how to play? They were playing it already, and you picked it up that way. Yeah. So that's uh. One really unique thing about our community and really why the Hand Game Society was was started by my brother and, and a few others in 2018 was uh, because essentially, you know, growing up in Fort Nelson in our community, I don't remember really having uh, hand games as an option as a youth in the community. It wasn't oh, something okay. that we played a lot of. Um, some of our elders speak to times, you know, nineteen fifties and things like that when we were living at the old fort where the men would go out and play hand games. But uh there's been a really big resurgence across Dene territory, across the north, and I would say the last ten, ten to fifteen years. And really in the last five years, Fort Nelson's been really uh putting themselves on the map in the hand games community. And uh, it all started with the first hand game society event in twenty eighteen which was actually the first time I had played in years and Mm -hmm. uh, with the encouragement of my older brother, Curtis, who was instrumental in bringing hand games back to our community and and, uh, watching it grow has been really, really uh, satisfying, I think, to a lot of us that have been involved with the society in our community because in that first event in 2018, we barely had enough for, for one team of local players here based out of Fort Nelson. And then the following year in 2019, I think we had four three or four from Fort Nelson, and it just continues to grow. And there's a lot of youth now, like Logan, who the, the tournament is uh, in honor of, that mm-hmm. have taken to the game and that uh, really look forward to any time we're able to put on an event. And we try to do it as frequently as possible because really uh, that momentum and, and, and being consistent with it is what uh, uh, I think we find a lot of value in terms of using hand games as a mechanism to, to help uh you know, youth struggling with mental health issues or anything like that. It, 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 there's really a lot of benefit to, to bringing the game back. And, and yeah, so it, it hasn't been uh, part of my life entirely for as long as I've been living here. But uh, recently, as of 2018, it's been something that I you're always thinking about it. And it, when, once you, you start playing and, and you get the game and you start meeting other people from different communities, it really becomes takes on a life of its own. And and I think a lot of hand game players can relate to that and why it's so uh, impactful for, for us as a community here in Fort Nelson. 
Absolutely. Now I'm going to make sure we talk about Logan again in just a few minutes, but a couple more questions about the game itself. I think you mentioned this already, uh, the crowd and sort of getting energized is, is spectator sport. This sounds like this would be pretty fun to watch, especially as you said, there's taunting going on. It's sort of, it gets really competitive. This yeah. is, this is something that people gather to, to watch happen too, I guess. eh? Yeah. And a lot of that, I think uh, stems from just, the the power of of the Dene drum Mm -hmm. Um, you know for us as a society we went and purchased 12 of our own drums and when you get 12 drummers going um, in beat and uh, in tune with that hand games chant it really uh, alivens any room that uh, we bring our drums in it it, it's a really unique drum it's kind of unique to this part of the world and for our people specifically, it, it has a really profound connection uh, going back to when we were children in our mother's womb, that double beat of, of the heart. And, and it's really, really a, a powerful thing. And uh, that that drumming and the, and the power of the drumming really energizes the players to, to really start moving on the mats and, and uh, kind of showing off and taunting the other team. And, and uh, there's a lot of high energy and, and intensity to it. And I think that's what makes it so compelling to to watch as spectators and and uh yeah even as drummers like you you get in the moment when you're drumming alongside like i say 12 or sometimes in these bigger tournaments there's 20 or 30 drummers behind each team and it it really literally shakes the floor yeah and uh yeah stuff like that it's pretty unique to to where we live here in in northeast bc and Dene territory one last question about the game itself is is this something you can um practice outside of like tournaments like you get together and you try to work out how do you get better at even though it's a game of chance but how do you get better at maybe increasing your chance at getting it right or taunting or whatever it happens to be is this something you can practice practice is key yeah like and then i spoke to the consistency of just getting kids out and getting them on the mats and and having them be comfortable on the mats and and uh, really the best practice is, is through tournaments, but uh, that's when you really get a lot of the energy from from uh, larger uh, groups of drummers around each team, things like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, we try to practice. You know, uh, at one point last year we were practicing two times a week before the lead up to our bigger tournament. Yeah. But uh, yeah, getting getting the youth on the mats as, as frequently as possible is, is really key, and, and I think should be really prioritized in in our communities because it, it, you know, it's. Uh, it is. It can be intimidating the game when you're playing against communities from outside your own, and, and there's all that energy and intensity in the room. But the more practice you can do at home, at even a tournament like this that's more grassroots, uh, learning the game, learning the shots, all of that stuff happens in an event like this, and it just gives the youth more confidence going into to bigger events uh, down the road here in the future. All right. Well, you've got a tournament coming up next week, and I want to say the third. I may have the date wrong, and I apologize. But yep, um, February third. Oh, perfect. Um, you, it's it's kind of doubling as a fundraiser for, I believe, Logan, as you've already mentioned. Uh, tell us a bit <laughs> about this uh, this person who is, uh, I believe, unfortunately injured, and this is sort of helping support him and his family during this time, I suppose. Eh. Yeah, so Fort Nelson's a small community, and you know everybody kind of knows each other, if not uh, directly through through one another. And like I grew up uh, with Logan's mother, who was a bit younger than me in school, but uh, just really got to know Logan in the last couple of years because as a non-indigenous person, he was uh, 
uh, brought out to, to some hand games tournaments and, and practices by some of his, his friends from the community. And um, before you knew it, like Logan had a drum in his hand and he had the beat and he had the drum and, and, and uh, he had all the, the moves and he understood the game and took to it. And uh, I think when, when we heard of his accident, a lot of us, uh, the older group, like myself and, and uh, my friend Jeffrey and, and my brother Curtis, were wondering what could be done to kind of support his family through this, this uh, you know, tragic event. And he's been away from the community since the accident in October, and he's continuing to recover. And, and obviously with that comes a lot of uh, cost financially and, and just being away from home for his family. So there's been a few other events in town like bingos and things like that, but we yeah. really felt with our Logan's uh, love of hand games that doing something where his friends can come out and, and really kind of be there to support him from afar would be a, a really good thing to do. And, and uh, we're able to get uh, uh, some some facility use with the Chalo School, which we're really appreciative and I think it'll be a great event. Uh, a lot of people are really looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've had a tournament, really since the summer. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of excitement and, and a lot of people behind Logan that'll show up to, to support this event. Mm -hmm. And I do want to quickly say, we've got just about a minute left here, Ryan. Um, as I understand it, this hand games are traditionally something men would do, but this tournament coming up is yeah. supposed to be co-ed, isn't it? Yeah, so traditionally, uh, all the stories are, are men. It was like a men's only game, but yeah. really until the 1970s, it kind of transitioned to more co-ed, and women started finding their place on the mats. And, and this for this event, it, it's co-ed, so a mixed tournament. Uh, there's no age limit, which is kind of unique. So we're really encouraging anybody that wants to play or that is interested to come down. And even if you don't have a team, we'll find you a team and... and uh, that's what uh, these smaller events are really about is growing the game and, and getting everybody involved and, and just having that inclusivity is, uh, is really, really what the community needs right now, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, Ryan, uh, I mean, we're mostly in Fort St. John, but if there's anyone here who wants uh, more information, maybe interested in making the trip up to watch or be a part of the tournament, what, what can they do? How can they uh, find out more? Yeah, so we, we use our Facebook page generally, uh, the Fort Nelson Hand Game Society on Facebook is we share, where, where we share a lot of our information, but also really appreciative of you guys reaching out and being able to, to spread the word here in, in Treaty 8 territory. So, but find us on Facebook and you know, you'll see a lot of updates there. All right, Ryan. And it, photos. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> uh, Ryan, it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We're going to have to have you on again very soon, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Deb. Masi Cho. You're Appreciate very it. You're very welcome, Ryan. Sorry to cut you off there. That's uh, Ryan Dickey, the uh, president of the Fort Nelson Hand Games Society. We'll be right back to talk to Matt Troiano right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now, I had a chance to sit down with Fort St. John, uh, John Fire Department Deputy Chief Matt Troiano recently. We talked a bit about uh, some of the calls they were seeing during the extreme weather event we had earlier this month. It got really cold, and uh, they were pretty busy. As it turns out, they were really busy last year as well. So we talked a bit about that and, of course, uh, looking forward to 2024. So uh, I was very happy to talk to, uh, again, Fort St. John Fire Department Deputy Chief Matt Troiano yesterday. Here's that conversation. 
Matt Troiano, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's start with 2023. Kind uh, of we're actually general, just having a technical Jordan, if you'll let me uh, stats run the board for a second here, I think I can figure out what the problem general, is. What, what, was it like? what was it like for the Fort St. John Fire Department? Yeah, so um, for 2023, uh, we responded to over 2,000 incidents uh, for over the period of years. So comparing that to previous years, that's about twice as much as far as call volume wow. goes. Wow. So, yeah, we were uh, we were pretty busy with the uh, I mean variety of calls and um, it's increased across the board. Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a a theme or a pattern you're seeing that explains why there was just so many more calls last year, or is it something extra that's maybe been typically been t- covered by some other organization or whatnot that you're now responding to that maybe you weren't before? Yeah, so. Uh, at the beginning of 2023, uh, the fire department began responding to more um, time-sensitive or uh, life-threatening medical calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that has played a significant increase in our call volume, uh, the feedback that we've received from that. And um, it's it's overwhelming that it's a positive thing that we're doing. So um, that would attribute to some of the increase that we've seen in 2023 to yeah. previous years. but. Um, in general, across the board, uh, fires, brush fires, especially with last year, um, we're seeing an increase. So it is, uh, it is all types of incidents. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, brush fires, I'm afraid, in just a bit looking ahead. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk a bit about this cold snap we just came through. Um, I mean, we've heard that your call volume went up kind of significantly during that time. Tell us a bit about that and some of the things uh, you were responding to. When the temperature was minus 30, minus 45, minus 50 with the wind chill. Yeah, so extreme colds, they they pose inherent risk to the community in general. Um, and you can definitely see a blip in call volume increase uh, when it does get to that, to that degree of cold. Um, so for an example, I mean, all of last January, um, we responded to in total 141 calls in mm-hmm. 2023. And in this year, we still have a week left in January and we're already surpassed that we're at 157. Wow. So it, it does have an increase in the total calls. Um, the types that you typically see, of course, you could imagine that, um, there would be some, uh, medicals that would be associated with, with, uh, the cold weather and extreme yeah. cold response. Um, but a lot of the sprinkler systems or systems that we have in in commercial properties um they're wet systems they have water in the pipes and well water freezes so yeah. that uh that can explain a lot of the calls that we get you know it gets so cold they freeze and then um you know when the when the temperatures kind of rebound a bit it gives it an opportunity to thaw and then you see those burst pipes that um you've maybe seen in the news and are, are frequent around that time Okay, so it was actually commercial, a lot of commercial calls you're going for for that sort of thing. Well, typically, as far as sprinkler systems go, um, they are in commercial, they are in multi-residential yeah. so apartment buildings. So when it does get to those extreme lows, uh, we can anticipate that an increase in those types of calls uh, will be occurring, uh, especially when the, when the temperature does uh, increase a little bit to allow the, the thaw to come out. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something uh, in the fire department, department in general? you kind of look ahead and you see what the forecast is bringing you go okay this is what we're likely going to see an increase in call volume and i don't know if you train up or kind of review your notes on what we're going to have to do when this sort of thing happens is is that sort of something that you guys do you try to prepare and see what the weather is going to be like for example and 
prepare accordingly, I suppose? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can, uh, the weather tells a lot of things about uh, the types of calls that we're going to be responding to. So um, we do have a display in our, uh, in our operations section of the, uh, of the fire hall that outlines the forecast, outlines the humidity and everything. And we can anticipate, um, you know, generally in the spring or in the summer uh, when there'd be an increase in, in uh, brush fires or wildfires types of thing. Um, but when we're looking at extreme colds, there's definite uh, review that we undertake. Uh, our fire department members, are extremely well trained we spend a lot of time training to ensure that we're able to respond to these emergencies accordingly so yeah it would be um you know it's one of those things winter operations is, is seriously impacts the fire uh, fire ground operations so mm-hmm. every year um we systematically review these types of operational decisions um sorry operational guidelines to guide yeah. our decisions um to make it so that we're able to effectively uh, address these and, and mitigate these emergencies what about traffic kind of related incidents? I know you're one of the first responders when stuff happens on a highway in a certain kind of area and in town and whatnot. Do you see an increase in that or is that kind of par for the course what we'd normally see during that time? Well, you definitely see an increase um, of uh, or in call volume uh, for motor vehicle incidents when the roads are slippery or icy. Yeah. Um, that can kind of go without saying. But So our fire department responds up to um, road rescues or motor vehicle incidents up to the Sikini Chief. So over 100 miles up the highway. Yeah. And with the increase of traffic that you see there with industry, um, we're, we're headed up there quite often. Um, some things as far as implications with the cold weather that people need to be kind of be aware of is it takes time to get up to those those incidents. Mm-hmm. So there's often times when you can be vulnerable to uh, the extreme weather um, for a long period of time before emergency uh, medical arrives to be able to help you kind of thing. So yeah, back to your question or your comment there, um, we, we definitely see an increase or um, in, in those types of emergencies. It's all based off of the road conditions. So, yeah. um, you know, like I was saying, it's it's extreme cold there a little bit ago, and now it's going to get up to above uh, freezing. Um, that brings ice. So yeah. those things are absolutely consideration that um, that we take to prepare for the for the shift, um, but also that we we hope that the public uh, considers um, to refrain from having to go out and do these things that are maybe more voluntary as opposed to you have to go out and drive on those highways. Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, the weather is very quickly shifting gears. We go from extreme, very cold. Uh, we've got a high of 11 degrees, I think, forecasted for Sunday. So what challenges does that present for the fire department? What sort of things are you looking at with the rapid weather change and as warm as it may get? How is that going to affect sort of things you may see in call volume or even just kind of your operation in general? Yeah, I mean, with with the uh, we got a, a little bit of snow here. Definitely not enough snow um, to to positively impact the the drought that we're experiencing. But yeah. um, we with the positive degree, the positive temperature, um, it's going to turn to slush, and then again with the overnight lows, we're going to be seeing ice. So yeah. the roads will be icy. They will be slick out there, and those are just things as far as us to consider. Um, well likely there's gonna be some car accidents that kind of thing but also additional safety precautions that we encourage our uh, driver operators of our apparatus to you know take your time we need to make sure that we get to these incidents uh, safely because mm-hmm. we can't we can't help the the public if we're not being safe on our way there so um, we are taking those steps to ensure that we're able to do uh, what we can to ensure that we're safe for everybody mm-hmm. and one more thing back to the cold weather for just a second actually sure. um, even directly impacting when you go to a scene, the trucks starting in cold weather, the water you're using mm-hmm. to put out fires or not. What kind of challenges did you face during cold weather in, in regards to that? Or is everything 
did everything just kind of work pretty well perfectly for you guys in that regard? Well, you know, machinery is not meant to work when yeah. it's minus 40, right? Yeah. And that's kind of, <laughs> for, for the most part, a well-known thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty um, unique up here in Fort St. John. There's not many places that have to deal with um, extreme heat and extreme cold in, yeah. in a given calendar year. So we see in the summer, we see plus 35, plus 40, which brings challenges all on its own. But yeah. then you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we see minus 40s. So for what we have to deal with, um, you know, fire doesn't care if it's cold outside. Yeah. So it still happens. In fact, there's other things that, that kind of spur the frequency of fires in, in circumstances that increase with the cold outside. So yes, as far as water goes, we use lots of water and we need to make sure that water doesn't freeze because a frozen hose line does nothing. So that just adapts into our fire ground operations, something that we train to and we're very much aware of leading into the winter season uh, to make it so that we can address those concerns before they become issues. But I mean, do what you can um, when you go from a, a 20 degree fire hall out into minus 40 mm -hmm. um, with the truck. It, it's you're going to have issues with it, and you definitely see an increase in uh, defects with those types of trucks. Mm -hmm. All right, and I do want to look off way ahead now, as you've already said. You okay. kind of do a bit of forecasting. Mm -hmm. I mean, as dry as it's been, it it certainly seems like we may have another challenging year for wildfires and whatnot, whether they're going to be here or elsewhere. You never know for sure. But as a fire department, I know you're the city of Fort St. John fire department, but how does that affect sort of how you guys are training, what you're sort of preparing for even now when you're thinking ahead to the summer? I mean, unless we get 50 feet of snow before then, it's going to be pretty dry up here again. And those brush fires you sort of mentioned last year that, that caused an increase of calls. I mean, we're likely going to see a lot more of that. So uh, just talk a bit about looking ahead and preparing, I suppose, the department for that situation. And even if you have to, I guess, supporting, you know, wildfire fighters who may be working close to the city and, and preparing for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as the forecast goes, there's definitely people out there that are much smarter than I am that work yeah. for BC Wildfire that would be able to provide a fairly accurate indication as to what we're going to be facing in the spring. Yeah. Um, but what we can focus on internally as far as the city of Fort St. John, um, every year throughout the spring, we undergo um, extensive training, upkeep training for our members um, that kind of go systematically with the season. So once the snow starts to melt, uh, we will be looking at continuing to do our wildfire type um, maintenance training. Yeah. And that's great for responding to incidents around here, as well as for our regional neighbor partners like Charlie Lake and Taylor. Uh, we have a really good relationship and um, we support each other uh, when we are faced with those emergencies. But as we saw last year and what we've seen in previous years, um, the city of Fort St. John and Marin Council are very, uh, are very willing to be able to send our professional members out to to help neighboring communities um, we saw that we had a need up here in the region in the peace region real sorry peace river regional district last year and we were um, it's amazing to see all of these different cities and fire departments sending up trucks and personnel to be able to assist us with this and uh, it's it's special it's it's nice for us to be able to return the favor um so we did last year um we were approved to uh, send a truck down to help in west Kelowna when they mm -hmm. were undergoing their their wildfire season down there so we we prepare for it um 
uh, fairly consistently, there is a provincial need for uh, deploying wildfire uh, resources to assist. So we get ready for it, and then we're ready for it if if um, if we get called into action, kind of thing. But first and foremost, our main priority and forever will be will be for the city of Fort St. John and the public in serving us here. So that's always of top consideration before we send anybody anywhere. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, but I'm grateful that you took some time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. My thanks for our guests, Ryan Dickey and Matt Troiano, for joining us today. We want you to take our survey. We've designed a survey at energeticcity.ca for you to have your say and help shape the local news you see. Survey takes about five minutes of your time, and when you do it, you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win a Mr. Mike's gift card. Now, you've got the weekend to get over to energeticcity.ca slash survey to do the survey and have a chance at that Mr. Mike's gift card right now. Well, that's our show for today. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Goose Talks. Pardon me, Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.